Welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast with Ruth Haley Barton. In this season of the podcast, Ruth invites leaders with diverse callings and expertise to dialogue and explore how spiritual transformation intersects with some of the most significant topics of our time. Well, Ruth, here we are, and um, we're recording this a day before the episode is going to come out, but we recorded the content of the episode, which is transformation and sexuality, about two months ago. And then as we were talking today, we're like, man, with the coronavirus and everything, like, are people, are, do, do people want to hear about sex? Do people... Maybe they do, because maybe there's extra time. Who knows? That's like, right. Well, that's my, that's my idea, is that we all are sheltering in place. <laughs> and so maybe this is one of the things we could do a little more of. Um, and we all we all need to have things that relieve the stress and the tension. So maybe this is the perfect podcast episode for such a time as this. What do you think, Steve? Well, actually, I, do th- I, I was re-listening to this as I was doing some editing. And I, again, it was two months ago when we recorded, but the content is really just good stuff to think about as it relates to sexuality and spiritual transformation. And I do think I've been thinking about coronavirus and how to lead my congregation through it nonstop. And so I think a little diversion is healthy. So I am glad we're releasing this. Um, But you and I are also trying to make some plans to release something specifically for pastors and, and leaders who are trying to navigate their own reactions to all that's happening, as well as navigating the people that they're leading. So, uh, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I do, I do, I do look forward, Steve, to having a thoughtful conversation with you about how we as leaders are supposed to lead through these times, and how can we stay grounded in our own spirituality and our own relationship with God and feel that we're being guided by God rather than reacting. I think that's one of the things I want most deeply in my own life is, is to be doing things that I feel I'm being led to do and guided to do. And I'm not just reacting to the latest news or what other people are doing, but that I'm really listening to God for myself and what God's calling me to do in my own leadership. So I think that would be a really fruitful and encouraging conversation for us to have. And hopefully we can do it soon. Well, I'm looking forward to having it just for me. So mm-hmm. let's, yeah. Like, yeah, we all have a lot that people need to get out there. You, know? you and I so, are just going to talk. So and if other great. people listen, that's yeah. fine with me. But yeah. I'm mostly doing it for me. Yeah. Um, well, in the meantime, Steve, here you are in the middle of the coronavirus crisis, but you have a new book coming out. I don't know how that feels to you. But oh tell me, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your book. And I know our readers, our listeners would want to hear that, too. Well, thanks, Ruth. That's really kind. Uh, the book is called Shining Like the Sun. Seven Mindful Practices for Rekindling Your Faith. And the title comes off of that great Thomas Merton story where he's standing on the corner Mm -hmm. of 4th and Walnut in Louisville, and he's suddenly in this ordinary moment of just shopping and walking downtown. He has this kind of epiphany where he realizes that everyone is interconnected and everyone contains the divine spark. And if we only knew that, uh, but we can't know that through learning it. We have to know it by experiencing it. So really the book is seven practices, uh, ordinariness, attentiveness, simplicity, restoration, delight, conversation. Uh, and then I don't even know if I said seven right there, but close enough. Um, I, but it's about learning how to find God in the everyday ordinary moments. And I never imagined it would come out at a time like this. 
but I actually feel like it's oddly timely. I think so too. Um, yeah. As you described the different aspects, I think those um, those aspects are perfect for us right now. When really all we have is the ordinary. Yes. All we have is the people that we're sheltering in place with. All we have is our ordinary existence. We don't have much more than that right now. It's true. And we need to be sustained within that. So I'm excited um, about your book and that maybe in God's providence, God knew that we needed this book right oh, now. I sure hope that that's true and in some way that it can help. So yeah, it's Shining Like the Sun. Uh, you can get it wherever Where you buy it? books. Where can we find it? Well, I think the easiest way is to, really, you can get it anywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, any of the favorite, any of the places you buy books. But the easiest way is probably just to go to my website, steveweens.com slash books, and then you'll see it there. You'll see the links there to buy it. Great. Oh, congratulations. I'm really, really pleased. Well, thanks, Ruth. Now let's kick it over to our beautiful, lovely, amazing, hopefully helpful conversation on transformation and sexuality. Well, I'm very happy to welcome Steve Weems to our podcast season entitled Ruth and Friends, Spiritual Formation or Spiritual Transformation and dot, dot, dot. We're talking about topics that come to bear on our spiritual transformation. And in this particular episode, we're talking about spiritual transformation and sexuality, which is a big and far-ranging topic. It's a controversial topic in our world right now. Um, we want to focus our conversation on making the connection between our sexuality and our spirituality as part of our transformational journey. Welcome, Steve. So good to be having this conversation with you. Ruth, I'm so glad to be back. And especially talking about this, I can't imagine anyone I'd rather talk to about this than you. Amen. We can do it. Um, so I thought it might be good for, first of all, I'm going to define our terms just a little bit because I think that will be helpful. And then, Steve, I'm going to ask you to share a little bit about your journey with this topic and what brings you to the place of wanting to talk about it in a conversation like this. And um, I can do the same. And then from there, we can talk about how we experience this as part of our journey of transformation. You know, David Benner makes this statement in his book, I think it's in Soulful Spirituality, where he says that authentic spirituality must ground us in the God-ordained realities of our lives, including gender and sexuality. And I think that is a powerful statement because obviously it's possible for us to reduce our spirituality to those sort of uh, woo-woo spiritual practices and not ground our spirituality in the God-ordained realities of our life. And that that's a deep part of our spirituality. I just love that idea. Yeah. So as we talk about connecting our sexuality and our spirituality, we're talking about grounding ourselves in the God-ordained realities of how we've been created, um, the life situation that we find ourselves in, even the experiences that we've had. And we've all had experiences around our sexuality that affect how we relate to it. Um, some of those things are really feel very blessed and then others things feel very broken. And all of it's part of uh, bringing our whole selves to God and opening up every aspect of our lives for his transforming work so that we can experience the abundance that he has for us, so that we can glorify him in the way that we live our lives, and also so that we bring health and healing and wholeness to the circles that we participate in, which I think is one of the biggest reasons why we as Christians need to enter into this part of our lives in a transformational way, because we can be healing agents, agents of healing, agents of transformation in these uh, aspects of human experience that often get very complicated for us. 
So, um, so Steve, let me kick it over to you. And why don't you say a little bit about your own journey um, in coming together, bringing together sexuality and spirituality in your own life? Then I'll do some a little bit of definitional work. And then within that, I can share some of my own experiences as well. And, yeah, well, I mean, first thing I would say, because it's important just to ground ourselves in reality, that I'm going to be 50 this year. And so, yeah, so we're grounding uh, ourselves yes. in your reality. Thank yeah, you. Yes. I'm also white, male, heterosexual. Mm. Um, and so I grew up in an evangelical church where I think the only kinds of conversations that I remember having about sexuality were around boundaries about what to do, what not to do. And it occurred to me, it, it occurs to me now that we treated sexuality like a grenade that whose pin had been pulled. Mm -hmm. And we were all very worried about it and very careful with it. And if you were a male, you probably thought less about it because in general, uh, you just needed to um, avoid doing the main thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the main thing <laughs> would have been having premarital sex. I think if you were a woman growing up, if you were one my age growing up in the evangelical church, you're thinking about a whole lot of other things. You're thinking about what you're wearing. You're thinking about not making someone stumble. You're thinking mm -hmm. about um, purity, maintaining purity. your purity. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us just nodded along with that because yeah. we wanted to follow Christ and we wanted to be the very best we could be honoring each other, honoring ourselves. And we didn't really think too much about the psychological and even sociological effects that was having on us. And so I think that's, that's what I, that's what I brought into my early twenties. And I ended up meeting Mary, who is now my wife of almost 25 years and she was thinking about this big time. I mean, big time through pain and through experiences. And I had the luxury as a white 23-year-old male at the time to never really have thought through it at all. And, and I mean by that seriously, like we men of, of my age have the, you know, I, I was never denied any leadership position because of my sexuality, um, which had, was not true for my wife, Mary. So we started talking about it in real time. And it felt like an interview for me, to be honest. Um, but I, I was invited into thinking about the complexity of how it was that I was made and how it was that Mary was made and what does it mean to be made in God's image. And so it, it really started with a disruption for me. Um, mm -hmm. I was invited to, to see from a different perspective, and it was hard at first for me. Um, but because I was curious, I think, and because I loved Mary, I was very motivated to keep going in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, for me, um, you know, obviously I'm a white woman and um, I'm not going to give my age, if that's all right. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. Something in the end, something in the neighborhood of what you're talking about, Steve, we'll just say in the general mm -hmm. neighborhood of the birthday that you're facing. Um, and I would actually, I would agree with the things that you've talked about in terms of the emphases on sexuality. And I remember also that the only time we ever talked about it really was in that youth group yeah. um, teaching where they talk about abstinence and, how to keep yourself pure and how not to sin and all that. And so we, we did hear about sex as God's good gift, but it, it, we didn't see that lived out very much or very well um, because the, the only teaching we got about it was to control it yeah. and to somehow keep a lid on it. 
Um, so I think I entered into my young adult life quite out of touch with sexuality as a force within yeah. sexuality as an energy. Um, and then my parents were kind of frightened for me. You know, there was this sense of protect, protection for a young girl. And so they were, they often would express fear if there were, you know, guys around who were interested or whatever. Um, that was a feeling of fear that something to, again, be clamped down on rather than to openly receive as a part of God's good gift for us on the earth. Um, so in my early 30s, when I began spiritual direction and began the deeper spiritual journey in earnest, when I hit the wall, we've talked about that before, and um, began to have all sorts of questions about my relationship with God and how true change takes place and really felt my stuckness, my bondage to negative patterns and stuff like that, began opening up to God in and through practices like self, like solitude and silence, uh, Lexio Divina, things like that. As my spirituality started to wake up, so did my sexuality in a new way. And so that became part of what I had to really deal with in the context of a very intentional spiritual journey with a great deal of intentionality around my spiritual practices. And I was also in seminary at the time where I had a great uh, teacher, a great professor um, who taught about pastoral care and sexuality. And she just did a fantastic job of connecting the dots between sexuality and spirituality. So it's a very significant part of my spiritual journey in my early 30s, both in seminary and in spiritual direction and in what I was experiencing in my spiritual practices that sexuality and spirituality sort of wake up together. And I think that if we talk about spirituality and we don't say that out loud, we are not doing people a service. We're actually doing them a disservice because their sexuality will wake up as their spirituality wakes up. But if they don't have good support and good wisdom and good guidance, they can, they can blow things up, you know, if they don't have help with paying attention to both of those things that are waking up together within their lives. And so that spoke to me strongly. And I had a really good spiritual director who told me this is what it's like. This will happen. Mm -hmm. As you wake up um, spiritually, your sexuality will wake up. And of course, we also know that um, our sexuality has a very spiritual feeling to it. Um, in, a, in climactic moments, moments of ecstasy, there is this unitive experience of being completely given over to something bigger and more and larger than yourself. And we experience our sexuality as being spiritual if yeah. we are paying attention at all. And so the wide awake person knows that these two aspects of the human person are very closely aligned within, within our, our human selves and that to pay attention to one is really to pay attention to the other. Yeah. I I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I think, I don't know if I've ever heard you say it just like that before, but I really like that, like that your spirituality as your spirituality wakes up, so does your sexuality. <laughs> and, um, it reminded me of, of something that I just went through uh, just this last fall, I was working on a ministry project with a woman, uh, not my wife, and I was feeling some electricity, you know, I was feeling some, um, oh, well, this, this is fun and energizing and something was waking up. But I, I, because I've sat with this for a long time, I, I can attune to like, okay, it, am I feeling a sexual attraction mm -hmm. as the sexual primarily? Mm -hmm. Or is it something different? Is it the feeling you get when you work with someone who is different than you and you're seeing something come forth that's beautiful? And I really was able to go, no, actually, I think it's the second. Like I could check in with, I checked in with my body actually. Mm -hmm. I, and I think I 
got it, got that right. I think I got the answer right. Uh, and so that was waking up, but without that kind of attunement, like you're just afraid that, uh Oh, I, like I better shut this down right now or right. else, um, or else something terrible is going to happen. And I, so I think it's important to check in, right. As something is yeah. waking up. Cause what is waking up? So it's not always sort of just this spirituality, um, right. Well, and I do think that um, that understanding these dynamics and having words for them are really important. So I thought we could serve our whole conversation well by actually defining some terms yeah. to get us started, um, because it, it can really help even in paying attention to the kind of experience that you're describing, because you don't put it all in the same bucket right. if you have some good definitions. So let me offer a few. De- I'm going to af- offer four definitions. The first one will be spirituality. Then I'm going to talk about sexuality. Then we'll talk about sex. Then we'll talk about gender. Those would be the four definitions that I think would help us because the definitions themselves speak to the connection between sexuality and spirituality because both our sexuality and our spirituality represent our capacity for union, for communion, for life, for generativity, um, all of that. So first of all, our spirituality, um, our capacity for union and communion with God. It's our spirit, our souls that reach towards God and that reach towards union. So that would be a definition of our spirituality. And it doesn't have to be religious. Um, We all have a spirituality, regardless of how we define it religiously. Our spirituality is the capacity that's built into every single one of us to have union and communion with God. And we all reach for that. Then our sexuality is that which causes us to reach towards others. It's our capacity for union and communion with other human beings. Um, and we, have, we are, are made, we are created with the capacity for oneness and communion with other human beings. And it's important for us to understand a really broad definition of sexuality. And in fact, uh, Ron Rollheiser in his book, The Holy Longing, talks about spirituality he actually talks about it in, in somewhat sexual terms. He says spirituality is about how we channel our eros. Spirituality is about what we do with the fire inside us. It's about how we channel this life-giving energy. Um, so it's about energy. It's about the generative force. And it's part of what God put in us and called it very good. Not just good, but this is the part that God said was very good. Yeah. The fact that he created male and female and called it very good. So we have this capacity for union and communion with other human beings. And then when we talk about sex, we're talking about sexual union uh, that has to do with genitalia. It has to do with coming together physically. Anything that involves sexual organs, we would call sex. We would put under that category. Um, and it's actual you know, sexual union with another being, another human being. And then gender would be the physiological fact of being male or female, coupled with the expectations around gender, which are fostered within our culture. So. Um, I would consider sex and gender to be two distinct terms in the conversation that we're having. And I think the ability to even have this conversation and to pay attention to ourselves on all these levels is crucial. Uh, we, have, we just have to have some definitions to work with. Otherwise, all the words, we don't even know how we're all using the words when we talk. Right. So I'm, um, I'm really happy for us to establish that as we enter into this conversation. Um, and then, then it becomes easier to make the connection between our sexuality and our spirituality and to see sexuality in its broadest term. I think, unfortunately, in our culture today, we sexualize almost everything, including that sparkiness that we have with people of the other gender, um, when really our sexuality is a a much broader term. 
we don't have to sexually act out on it with our physical bodies, but we can live within the spark. We can live within the generativity that's just part of God's goodness and how God created us. So our sexuality is connected to all facets of ourselves. And then sex is when we act it out in a physical way in our bodies with others. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, so I'm going to just super quickly repeat what I just heard, um, mm-hmm. from you just cause I think it's helpful for me, but also maybe for listeners. So spirituality is this, the union we all crave, the communion we all want. It's um, a capacity. Yeah. It's a capacity for that. Capacity for union and communion with God. Mm-hmm. Um, sexuality is that longing for capacity for union and communion with each other. You mentioned eros, one of the different words that love is translated, E-R-O-S, and sort of this, the, the, what the Greeks understood as the sexual um, dimension of love. And then there's sex, which has to do with genitalia, organs, the, the physical contact we make with each other in, in our bodies. And then there's gender, male or female, and those four are distinct categories, and I think it's helpful uh, to think that way. I totally agree. So I think these definitions themselves, first of all, help us to understand why these two things are so closely aligned in the human person. Yeah. <laughs> because sexuality has to do with our capacity for union and communion with God, and sexuality has to do with our capacity for union and communion with other people. And it's no wonder we get confused sometimes, yeah, right? Yeah. That those things can be confused within us as we try to live them out in our real world. Um, and that sexuality is always more than just sexual actions but it has to do with our desire for personal intimate involvement with another person or other persons. And while we live here on this earth, it's not going to be appropriate for us to have sex with everybody that we find attractive. Um, but <laughs> it's um, not going to be appropriate. Yeah, I love yeah, how you said that, you know, I mean, just, <laughs> and then, you know, you know, just think about it, Steve, right? I mean, you know, just think this. about it for a minute. It's, it's that's right. Probably not um, going to be appropriate. <laughs> that's right. But that does not mean that we don't, feel the stirrings sometimes of, of desire for union and communion with other persons. But like you described, knowing what it is and what to do with it is what makes us safe with each other within the human community. And it's a beautiful thing when people have reflected deeply enough on their sexuality and their spirituality for them to become safe with themselves and with others because they're making good and loving and responsible choices. Ruth, can I ask you a question on this? Because I think mm-hmm. like as, it, as we're talking, as it occurs to me, this requires some curiosity, you know, if, mm-hmm. if, if we all have this capacity for union and that is what we long for, and we're going to get mm-hmm. that confused. It's going to feel sexual at times when mm-hmm. maybe it's not even, that's not even really what we want or need at times. How do we get past, um, how do we get past the shame of it even to be curious? Because I think mm-hmm. so much of, especially in Western Christianity, when we think about our bodies, we just automatically go to shame and so shame shuts down curiosity. Mm-hmm. So how do we yeah. even start there to we can to where how do you think we can get beyond shame? I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Asking. Well, it could sound really obvious, but I think one thing we need to do is really sink and settle into the reality of the creation story mm. and um know that our differentiation as male and female is very good. God called it very good. The fact that we as human beings have built into us this capacity to connect deeply with others and that we've been created with bodies that can express intimacy in physical ways, that's very good, the Bible says. Our experience of ourselves as human beings, male, female, 
that sexual energy between men and women is very good, according to what the Bible says. So yes, we can take that gift as we can take any good gift and use it in ways that are contrary to God's good intentions and that aren't even good for us. Anything on this earth can be used in a way that's obsessive or compulsive or inordinate uh, so that it stops being good. But the, the thing itself is a gift. Um, and the gift doesn't cease to be good just because our culture is doing wacky things with it. And our culture is doing wacky things with it. Um, and it's, sexuality has been debased in our culture. And um, men and women have been objectified in different ways. And we've made it sometimes a twisted and ugly thing. But that's not the way that God offered it to us. And so I'm not even talking about just accepting something theologically on our heads, but actually entering into experiences of being male, being female, um, the, ex- the experiences of sexuality in our marriages, um, being able to live in the sparks that exist between male and female whenever male and female are together and experiencing them as good, not something evil or bad. Um, experiencing our sexuality as being not just about organs, but about that drive that we all have to create, to be generative, mm-hmm. to give birth, mm-hmm. you know, um, that even if you're single, those things are still at work in you and that you can live them out. You can be generative, you can be creative, you can give birth to new things in your life. Those are all ways I think of um, appreciating the gift, enjoying the gift and receiving the gift. So um, I, th- I think you know, the, the biblical basis, but also to be around people that are healthy mm-hmm. with their sexuality and to internalize people that are very healthy with all of this can also create a safe space uh, for us to kind of work with it and and feel what it feels like for it to be a healthy and a good thing. And I honestly, I and we've talked about this before, Steve, yeah. but I think Jesus was an amazing example of someone that was healthy with his sexuality because he was able to receive the good gifts of the women around him in ways that other men in the culture couldn't. So when Mary comes and, you know, anoints his feet, washes his feet with her hair and her tears, he just receives that. He doesn't sexualize it. I think in in our culture, we would have sexualized that, but Jesus didn't do that. Um, He was really healthy with her femaleness, his maleness, the energy between them, what she was offering him. He knew how to put the right meanings on it. Um, and I, to me, Jesus will always be an example of what it's like to live in a healthy fashion with our sexuality, which is not always just about sexual acts. It's about being the person that God has created us to be in all the ways that we've been created, including our maleness and our femaleness. Yeah. Well, that was very helpful. And I think you're right. I think, you know, and we say culture, you weren't saying this, I can interpret that as like cultures is this big, bad boogeyman out there. But it's really just all of us are participating in the lies that the culture gives us that we are only as valuable as we are sexy or something Mm -hmm. like that. And that sounds so stupid when you say it out loud. But, you know, that's why we when I look at a picture of myself at my age right now and go like, wow, do I really look? Do I really look like that? Really? I, I don't remember myself looking like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just, and that's on a very, very shallow level. I'm just buying into seven layers of self-worth right, right there that, yeah. that does need to be unpacked. Yeah. And, and, you know, we could call it a collective consciousness, mm-hmm. you know, that we all live in together. Yeah. We all create it together and we all live in it together, but it's pretty deep and wide. For sure. It's hard for just individuals to you know, kind of pluck themselves out of the collective consciousness that we all live in and live above it. Right. That's going to take real intentionality, which that's why it becomes a place of our transformation, right? Yeah. That 
we as human beings, as we engage in the transformational journey, this is a part mm-hmm. of our life with ourselves and our life with each other that we can transform for the glory of God, for the abundance of our own lives and for the sake of others. Yeah. We can become transforming elements, I think, as we get healthy, as men and women get healthy, we can become transforming elements for the culture. Yep, I agree. Rather than just always giving in right. you know, to the culture. Right, right, I agree. I agree. Or fighting it, like, you know, mm-hmm. boycotting culture. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, right. no, I, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I think another thing that, that can help us in terms of um, redeeming our experiences of sexuality as we've had them here on this earth is to go back to that basic New Testament idea that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, again, we um, diminish the meaning of this verse by attaching it to the youth message that talks about not having sex before you get married. Mm-hmm. That's how it got reduced to that. Yeah. But when you think about the temple, a temple, it's a place of encounter with God and that every aspect of lives in our bodies can be experienced as a place of encounter with God. I think that includes our sexuality, that these temples are gendered. You know, uh, God has created us um, as gendered beings. And I think one of the reasons God's did that was because the whole of who God is couldn't be captured in just one gender. It would take more than one, yeah. you know, to really capture all of who God is. So um, to think of our bodies as a temple and our specific bodies in their genderedness as temples, as a place of encounter with God, what does it tell me about God to live in this female body, you know, and to experience life in this female body? Uh, what can you as a male tell me about God that you know and that you learn from living in a male body? Um, how does God... Um, encompass all that and transcend right. all that. Um, I think these are very exciting conversations and very, very redemptive. Rather than trying to control it, we're actually trying to look at these human experiences and say, what does that tell us about God? Yes. And one of my friends says, you know, God represents everything that's beautiful about masculinity, everything that's beautiful about femininity, and then some. You know, mm-hmm. because right. there is more. And I do like that's that. That's the I, transcendent part. Yes. And that's mystery. We don't know what that mm-hmm. means. But, and I think you said it well, mm-hmm. if we can release our control over having a, being addicted to certainty regarding mm-hmm. who, what God is. And, who, you know, of course we long to know God, but that longing can get perverted into a kind of control where you say, well, God has to look this way. And if God doesn't mm-hmm. look this way, then that's a slippery slope towards some kind of heresy but I think when men and women especially can reflect God to one another and can see it, I think we're, in, we're on sacred ground, holy ground, holy yes, ground. Yes, absolutely. And when we can feel the fullness of um, the way we reflect God when we're together as male and female, when we're together as men and women rather than men only and women only groups, which is part of what has happened, again, in our religious subculture is that oftentimes we separate out the men and the women because we're afraid of the sparkiness between them when they're together. We're afraid that men and women can't, you know, can't be together without falling into bed together. Um, It it causes us to split off from each other rather than to come together and to experience the fullness of who God is as it's expressed when we are together. And I don't know about you, but um, I always feel that there's a greater fullness when the group is mixed, when there are men and women together and not just women and not just men. It's just so alive, you know, and so full of good energy. Well, I I just, I I have been in plenty of circles of both, really. Throughout my 25 years of pastoral ministry, I've been in circles where it's just a bunch of guys sitting around talking. And Mm -hmm, I have been mm -hmm. in many circles, especially in the last, you know, 10 or 12 years 
where it really is intentionally men and women together. And I will say 100%, I agree that it's fuller, more expansive, more fun, more effective, more reflective of who God is when it is, you know, men and women together, learning together. Um, There's a sense of when it's just three or four or five guys sitting around talking, it... (laughs) Unless it's very... It's just not as interesting. It just isn't. It's just not as interesting. It's just, no, really. I mean, I, it isn't. <laughs> yeah. It just isn't. And there's a kind of devolving that happens. Yeah. Um, and I think it's probably true when it's just women, you know, sitting around maybe for different reasons or whatever. But but it it it, it, it becomes too easy to get the simplistic answer yeah. uh, to anything, you know? I mean, I yeah. read somewhere yeah. where, like... Men, for example, though, when we do try it, okay, when we do mm-hmm. get in the same rooms together, mm-hmm. men tend to interrupt women. I don't know what the stat is, but it's like, it's ridiculous how much, mm-hmm. like if you just observe it, you mm-hmm. know, and so, um, which reminds me, oh my gosh, I, I won't say the name, but you know the person. I, I, I was in a team, on a team where there was just one woman, one woman, and I just recently had a conversation with her mm-hmm. and I just said, I bet we interrupted you all the time, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And she kind of smiled and, you know, yeah, yeah you yeah, did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she had worked through it and, you know, we're yeah. okay. But this person is one of the most wise, mm-hmm. thoughtful, mature, spiritually forming people that I know. And yeah. the three of us were just interrupting her almost all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I also want to come back to this definitional work because I don't know if you realize that the word sex or sexed actually means to be cut off, to be separated from the whole. And so sex or sexuality is very much about coming back to wholeness and that the the sexual drive has to do with our cut offness, with our separateness from other human beings and from God and how we channel our longing to come back to the whole and to be whole is a significant aspect of our spirituality, I think. And so um, to see our sexuality as being this desire to come back to wholeness. Wow. And that the, the, the energy that we feel, the fullness that we feel, the wholeness that we feel when men and women are together in good ways. And of course, our culture is, you know, struggling right now to see men and women together in good ways. The, mm-hmm. the hashtag me too, hashtag church too. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of work we're doing right now. And as much as I am disturbed by some of what's being revealed, I also feel that this is a Kairos moment as it has to do with sexuality and relationships between men and women, because what has been in the dark is now coming out into the light. And when we get through this, I think there's going to be the possibility for a new vision for men and women to be together in a way that gives us a sense of wholeness rather than objectification and power, the misuse of power, the misuse of our sexuality. Um, And that we will in the end, if we do this work, if we really do the work that's before us around the hashtag me too, church too, that we could emerge into a greater sense of wholeness with one another, a greater sense of health, a greater sense of safety with each other, because we're all managing ourselves better because we know what these dynamics are and we can do the wise, good, loving things with them, but stay together rather than having to run away from each other because of um, the, the good energy that's there that God placed between us as, as men and women. So I find it to be a really exciting topic. It's one that I've worked on for a long time and like I said, as much as I've been disturbed by recent um, revelations, I also feel some hope that God has something better for us on the other side. Do you, do you, do you sense that? 
I do, and I I have not heard anyone use that Kairos moment language. Um, so I think when I say I do, I, I say it with a kind of like, oh wait a minute, do I? Like I I think I'm I'm seeing possibility, but it's just but it's all, dark right now. It it's is pretty dark. dark right now. It is dark. Yes. So it makes mm-hmm. me ask the question, um, what do you think, not that it's linear, not that it's mm-hmm. linear, but what yeah. do you think are some of the first couple of movements that need to be made so that it can blossom into what it mm-hmm. can be? Yeah. Well, I think some of the early stuff that's happening, which is really, really uncomfortable, but needs to happen is the stories of what's been going on in the dark. I mean, they need to come out. And then there's this other dynamic of saying, we're going to listen. We're going to listen to the stories. Whereas in the past, we didn't want to listen to these stories. And so sometimes when I hear people say, well, why didn't she speak up sooner? I want to say, are you crazy? Uh, Yeah. Look at what happens to people who speak up. First of all, we had to get safe enough. We had to make it okay. We had to create some boundaries um, and disciplines around the way we're going to listen to people who talk about their stories. And we're not going to always just protect the powerful. And we are going to have create some safe spaces and some safe processes by which stories can be told. I think that's huge. It's huge. And, and it hadn't happened yet before now. So thank God, even though it's painful and uncomfortable and awkward and everything, at least we're talking now in at, ways we didn't used to. At least we're talking now. And, it, and as much as it's so painful to see some of the bigger profile churches that happen to... I think there's this real, okay, yes, I'm going to say yes, and here's my addition. Mm-hmm. I think when, a, for example, when a church or a person is going through it and there's allegations made, mm-hmm. it, it, you've been going through that for four years maybe, let's say, and you feel like you have overturned every stone. Mm-hmm. But then when it really starts getting out into the public and a story's being told and you kind of feel like, oh, my gosh, how long is this going to last? You, that's when you have to say, well, buckle up for another four years because this is going to take a long time to really like I, I think I think it requires a kind of diligence yeah. on the part of maybe churches, for example, who this has happened to and this is happening mm-hmm. in rather than, well, we've done our due diligence and now can't we just move on? Can't we just yeah. move on? Can't we yeah. just move on it, yeah, to the, we to the do kingdom that too work? Quickly, I think we're, we're, and it's we like, want to act like everything's okay. And it's really not yet because, um, not only are the stories still coming out and we're still getting used to listening to people who have a story to tell and doing that in a respectful way, we're still beginning to put processes in place to keep these things from happening again. But I think looking at the systemic realities too, that allowed these things to go on, it's not ever just about the individual. Never. It's not ever about just the individual. It's always about the systemic realities that allowed these things to 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 live and to take place in the darkness over time. And so dealing with systemic realities, that's a long-term sea change mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a longer journey, longer mm-hmm. than we would hope, mm-hmm. but it's, it's part of the journey. And we must, as you said, buckle up and be willing to go, go into that. Well, a related example, okay. It, it's not church too. It's not even me too. Mm-hmm. But I had a conversation with a Latina pastor, Latinx pastor and theologian about the Super Bowl halftime show with Shakira and oh, J-Lo yeah, recently. Ta- yeah, I didn't know if we were going to talk about that, well, but if you want to talk about it, I'm there. 
I, I think it's important because I do too. It, so Twitter blows up. Um, some yeah. people loving it. Some people saying, "Oh, mm-hmm. I, my kids are watching this." So sexualized mm-hmm. pole dancing, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that a conversation was happening on Twitter with this Latinx pastor mm-hmm. theologian, and I was really enjoying her responses. So I mm-hmm. I called her up and said, "Hey, can we have a conversation?" Mm-hmm. And um, I and not not knowing what I thought, not feeling a lot of feelings either way, frankly, mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She had a lot of feelings about how um, white supremacy just continues to act as if its own standards are the only standards to measure anything by like the Super Bowl halftime show. Of course, it's only sexualized. And even if you're listening right now and your trigger bells are going off and, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. like, okay, I get it. My My point in this is I had to do... I wanted to, but also it, it's up to me as a white male to say, I need to listen carefully to the perspective of someone else who has an opinion that maybe I, it's not going to be my, my um, automatic opinion, but it's going to reveal my implicit biases. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a really good conversation. And yeah. I think this is, these are the kinds of conversations we, we have to have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Super Bowl Halftime Show, whatever you thought about it, whatever you think about it, great, fine. How are you in situations like that where you have a big feeling? How are you, how are you learning to listen to the other perspective? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Anyway, I felt like my energy just went way up right there. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I, I maybe felt it. I far. felt it. <laughs> um, but it is a value that I have, I think, in, mm-hmm. in the especially men and women. Like I I have sat with enough women who have been so hurt and wounded by men. I, I really have. That I just think we have to learn how to listen. We just really have to learn and how to curb our own rising defensiveness mm-hmm. talking to men now yeah. um and listen longer than is comfortable mm-hmm. yeah and i think you know you you asked about you know what's happening how is how is our recent experiences moving us forward do i sense yeah. them moving yeah. us forward i think this willingness to listen uh, men and women listening across lines of gender and being willing to just listen and not try to fix or problem solve or whatever. Um, I think that's really significant and important. I think men and women are having conversations now that they haven't had yeah. before, yeah. listening kinds of conversations. And th- there's so much value in that. And this conversation that typically wouldn't have happened um, in polite conversation, now it is happening. Yeah. And that's really good. And this this listening that has the, the chance to change us, the opportunity to transform us is is actually happening. Um, I also, for myself, feel like maybe there's going to be an opening where we can talk more about what love calls us to, Mm. um, and talk about the fact that in scripture anyway, um, we are called brothers and sisters in Christ to ask the question, what does that look like? Um, and so, you know, I of course watched the Super Bowl halftime through the lens of work I'm doing right now, the Mm -hmm. book I'm trying to finish Mm -hmm. on, um, you know, me too, church too, and moving us towards a commitment to a deep kind of love for one another, a deep capacity for being together, honoring our sexuality while also um, being safe with it, uh, what it looks like for men and women to be brothers and sisters in Christ. What does that really mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the vision that the scriptures put forward for us. They locate our relationships as men and women as being family, being brothers and sisters within a large family. Mm-hmm. 
So for me, that's become a lens for looking at anything, including the halftime show. And I, I wouldn't have acted like that around my brothers. That wouldn't be what I would be doing. Um, you know, that doesn't to me foster the kind of relationships that I'm seeking and looking for with my brothers in Christ right now. It doesn't help us to go where I'm hoping we can go in terms of not having everything be so sexual so that we can actually feel all the other good things about being brothers and sisters in Christ. So, um, and, and how do we respect sexuality and the power that it is? Um, Ron Rollheiser talks about the fact that our, our sexuality, especially when we are um, younger, it's a brute force within our lives. And that to be responsible with such a powerful force within our lives, um, it's a challenge. And it's one of the major challenges of the first half of life is how to channel the energy, this brute force of our sexual energy. Um, and, and how are we helping ourselves with that? That's always a question I have. How are we helping each other and ourselves Mm. with managing the energy to the place where it becomes generative and not destructive? That's, it's, it's a challenge. I'm just curious in terms of your own thinking and writing two or three practical suggestions you have for that, Mm. like how to help each other channel and this, this brute for it. Mm-hmm. What do you talk about, think about, write about when yeah. you think about that? Well, I think the most important thing, I think the metaphor of brothers and sisters in Christ is really significant. Yeah. And if you have a sibling of the other gender, which I do, do you have a sister? I too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have two brothers. Think about how those relationships feel Yeah. and, and wonder, do my relationships with um, people of the other gender within the body of Christ feel like that? And, um, also in the fact, you know, not just in the fact that if you were uh, any kind of sexual expression in those relationships would be very destructive to those relationships, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But the other side of the coin is with my brothers, I have intimacy. I have love. Mm -hmm. I have fun. We spend time together. There aren't any artificial boundaries. We have shared concerns. We don't separate. We don't separate our interests by whether they're male or female. They just all have to do with human living and we share it all together. Do our relationships in the body of Christ feel that way? Mm. And I actually feel that for many of us, if we had that kind of intimacy in community, um, we wouldn't be looking for so much sexual expression because there'd be so much meaning and satisfaction in having real relationships in community, which is what we were created to want and to to yearn for um, in the first place. So brothers and sisters in Christ, to feel what that feels like in our human relationships and to bring that on over into our relationships with men and women in the body of Christ and to to look at it through that lens. The second one, I think, is the discipline of love. Mm. Um, To wonder, what does love call me to here? Because I remember once when I was um, interacting with Dallas Willard, who I just think is the real deal all the way around. And, and we had a conversation about this and, um, he mentioned that the opposite of lust is not just running away into our separate corners. He said, the opposite of lust is love Mm. because lust is self-seeking. It, it will try to get whatever it wants, whenever it wants it. It doesn't care who or what it destroys in order to get what it wants. It's hurtful. It's dehumanizing. It reduces people to a single element of their personhood, their sexuality, rather than responding to them mm. as multidimensional persons functioning in the context of many relationships and commitments, including their relationship with themselves, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So to violate that, to violate that person's sense of self and their own sexual choices, to violate their commitment to God, to violate their commitment to there are other significant relationships. That's lust. Yeah. That's not love. Yeah. But that in the face of the sparkiness or the energy to instead 
be called to love and to see love as our highest calling with each other. It sounds counterintuitive, but it's powerful. Um, and if we understand the dynamics of, of real love, self-sacrificial love, we would never consider crossing boundaries that would hurt another person or hurt their existing relationships or hurt their relationship with God. Can, you know? can I make a quick observation mm-hmm. there? Because yeah. it, it occurs to me that the reason why, the, if it's true, and I think it is, that love is the opposite of lust is because love actually satisfies the longing that you're having mm-hmm. when yes. you move toward lust. You know, love mm-hmm. actually satisfies that mm-hmm. right. in ways that are boundaried and beautiful and holistic mm-hmm. and and loving, you know, right. and that, like even that, you want to, like this feeling you have, you have this movement towards someone or something, yeah. Do you want to live in perpetual anger, dissatisfaction, mm-hmm. or do you actually want to get that met? You know, right. love right. Is, is a way to do it. Yes. And, you know, Ron Rollhauser points out that to live as human beings on the earth, though, is also to live sexed. It's to Separate, live cut yeah. off. Yeah. It's to live cut off because while we're here on this earth, I don't know what's going to happen when we get to heaven, but while we're here on this earth, we can't make love to everybody that we're attracted well, to on this earth. It's not appropriate, as you, as, as you yes, said as before. I said. Um, <laughs> but sorry, it is possible. sorry. Pause. Why did I make I a joke about that? That that, that was know. so bad. Okay, yes. so let me yes. just take that yes. back. Yes. I'm not, Thank you. Not going right. to joke about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Okay, bring it. I'm bringing um, it in. Yes. So to live while we're living here on this earth, he would also talk about the unfinished symphony. The fact mm. that life here on this earth is going to be an unfinished symp- symphony. Mm. And part of that is our sextness. It's our cutoffness. We can't make love to everybody yeah. that we love here on this earth. Yeah. But we can be in communion. We can be in significant mm. levels of communion without violating yeah. the relational commitments that we have or what would be good for each other. And I, I think that's a tremendous call is to live well with our cutoffness. Yeah. And to channel that also at times towards God and to say, I realize that my cutoffness also has to do with the fact that I long for God. And I can't, I can't have the union with God that I want exactly the way that I want it here on this earth either. I'm going to always be longing for more of God until I see Jesus face to face, until I experience that final union. I, there are, it's an unfinished symphony. Yeah. Can we live with that? And mm. I think that's part of a mature Christianity, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. To be able to live sext to be able to live yeah. with the unfinished symphony but to know that that there will come a day when all of it is consummated um but to live well with our current human situation so i think that's part of it i'd like to mention a third thing one more thing because you asked about mm-hmm. what can we do what are our practices mm-hmm. and i do want these episodes to be going towards practices i think that we as human beings we've all experienced brokenness and experiences that have um you know kind of jeopardized our ability to function optimally and well in our relationships. So as part of our practice to do our own work around sexuality, what were the messages? Um, how have we coped with some of the early experiences? How have we healed some of the experiences that have hurt us? I, I wonder what would have happened in some of these really high profile um, stories of failure, of the misuse of power and stuff. I wonder what would have happened if a person was really bringing that into spiritual direction, really bringing mm-hmm. that in to therapy and working on one's stuff, recognizing it, um, but not acting out on it, but rather allowing that to lead you into a healing process. Mm-hmm. That is a tremendous amount of personal responsibility yep. that we could take for ourselves as part of connecting our sexuality and our spirituality in healthy ways. What I hear in that is like, if it's therapy, get into therapy. 
spiritual direction. Like if you're a pastor, ministry leader, mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's not a rule. I just would say like, whew, like I can't imagine my ministry without my spiritual director. I just, I, I just, it would feel so vulnerable. It already feels vulnerable, but it would feel even more so without it. So. Right. Right. Yeah. So Steve, what are, um, you know, as a man in our culture right now, what what is your growing edge around this connection, making the connection between sexuality and spirituality? Where do you feel like you're out on an edge with God and mm-hmm. um, and just opening yourself and surrendering yourself to God in this particular area of your life? Well, I think, you know, part of it is a, and this is, it's hard to describe, it's hard to put into words, but 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 maybe the word is em- embracing the potency of who I am mm-hmm. fully, but also sur- and this is going to sound okay. I'll say it first, and then I'll try to explain mm-hmm. it. Embracing the potency of who I am and what I bring fully, um, which means I'm not going to be on one hand because um, I can tend to be super careful and hold back, mm-hmm. and when I do that, sometimes someone gets hurt because I hold back my right, potency. Right, because they feel you being cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I'm withdrawn. Yes, yes. And and because I've just, maybe my own way of surviving was to mm-hmm. try to hit that safe little inch of mm-hmm. space where you're just intimate yeah. enough to feel like you're meeting someone else's need, mm-hmm. but there's still plenty of room to where I'm not going to mm-hmm. do something stupid or reveal something I don't want to reveal. So... My growing edge is trusting God with my own potency and mm-hmm. knowing that I will make mistakes and knowing that I will at times go too far, but also knowing that holding back might be just as damaging as mm-hmm. going too far at times. Yeah. Um, and that, for me, that requires a whole lot of trust because I don't know why, like... Um, I I have hurt people in ministry and mm-hmm. really in like I really have. Mm-hmm. And so I think I have some internal vows like don't am I going to do that again? Mm-hmm. And my own strategy for that is just to bring it way back and play it way safe. But in terms of being a sexual being that's united with spirituality in ways that isn't even mm-hmm. about sex or yes. gender. Um Picture, I mean, being, okay, now bring it to sex. Picture holding back from my wife, even mm-hmm. when it's appropriate to move toward. Yeah. Like, that's damaging. Right. That's damaging. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So To her and to you. To her and to me. And mm-hmm. so that's my growing edge, really. And yeah. it's interesting that it, it came out. And as I'm saying it, I'm realizing, mm-hmm. oh, that really is my growing edge. But yeah. it's not that that wasn't... <laughs> Like, I haven't been pondering that for days and days yes. and journaling about that, but yeah. now I am. <laughs> now, yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> Just now a little I spiritual director in yeah. front of thousands yeah. of people, right oh my here. Gosh. <laughs> but, but, but I do think that that is that yeah. that is it. And I appreciate you saying that because, from the other side, one of the things that I am aware of in my own life is that there have been men like that in my life who have who you often feel like you're on the, they cannot welcome you. They're so uptight with themselves and they're so uptight with you that you just feel like they're holding you at arm's length all the time. And that when they, when they get together with their buddies, they're fine, but they won't ever invite women into those spaces. And 
there's a sense I think that many women have, and I feel it a lot in my own life, that we are always on the outside a little bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. because of the very thing that you just named. And it encourages me that you're naming it because it means you will transcend it. Yeah. It means you will get beyond it. And it means that um, there will be women around you who don't have to feel on the outside mm. because you are out on your edge with yeah. God and you're you're working on that edge. And I I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me that you would share that and, and, and name that mm-hmm. for those of us, for those uh, men who are listening and also for those women yeah. who are listening, that maybe we can get beyond this, maybe right? Maybe we can. Yes, maybe we can. If we, we could can. really connect up our understanding of sexuality and spirituality and then do better things with it, mm-hmm. the more responsible, loving things with it, we just become safer. And I, I know when I'm with men who are safe mm-hmm. and, and I know when I'm safe. Yeah. And it is, it is a really good feeling. It's like you said, it's full, it's satisfying. Mm -hmm. It's not scary. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it takes practice. I've been practicing this for a long time as well, because I had such a good spiritual director around these things in my early Mm thirties. Um, I had such good stuff in seminary about it, which isn't always to be expected. Um, but, but when, when people get to that point, wow, there is a, there's a combustion, there's a spontaneous combustion, there's a fullness, there's an energeticness that doesn't need to be always acted out on sexually because, because it's, it's more than that. Uh, And that's when we start becoming safe. Well, so quick observation, then I want to ask you the question, if it's okay Mm -hmm. to where, where are you at in in your Mm -hmm. edge? But um, the quick observation is, let's say you could have sex with everybody that you felt that way with, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just say Mm -hmm. you could. Well, mm-hmm. you would just go around ruining all your relationships and having all that good energy be just done, you know, like mm-hmm. it would just be sated, you know, and then it would just, there'd yes. be no energy anymore. There would be, it would yes. just be, you know, because that's, that because we weren't made to have sex with everybody. And so Mm-mm. that good potency, that good energy, that combustible, loving, yes. brotherly, sisterly friendship that mm-hmm. can continue to have energy would be spent, I, I think, in a way that would be, ugh. You know, right. how boring. Yeah. And we're, we're well, not Ron Rollheiser uses the metaphor of a river that um, when there are boundaries and banks on a river, the river can flow and it can have power. Mm-hmm. But when there are no banks or boundaries on the river, it just sort of dissipates and becomes a bog. You yeah. know, it just becomes a swamp. There's no power anymore. And yeah. so there is a gift of God's goodness in this that if we can channel, we can have some boundaries and channel this beautiful energy that God's given to us, then it becomes a power for good. Um, but if we don't, it's like a, uh, you know, a highly promiscuous lifestyle, someone who's had a highly promiscuous lifestyle in the end, they're going to look back and they're going to know there was, there was no power in those choices. There was no power towards fruit and towards generativity. Yeah. And like, I even want to say like, maybe there's some listeners who were promiscuous. Okay. And like, so mm-hmm. okay, climb out of that chain. It's not about, yeah. oh, you're a bad person. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's not. It's just no. about sort of like coming to a curiosity and recognizing, did that enhance my yes, feeling of good. unity and power right. in the world or, or did it dissipate it and and just probably just you know again no no even judgment on that just probably mm-hmm. it dissipated it and so yeah. now you know there's always a choice to to move toward 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 fullness there always is that choice yes. um absolutely so. and i think god can redeem you know god can redeem those choices and bring us back to a place where we're channeling it well and experiencing but that's the healing work, right? Yeah. That we talked about before that we have experiences that all of us need to go back and work with and work on and allow God to meet us there and make new meanings and feel God's love and forgiveness and, you know, redemption, whatever it is that we need. Um, no shame in all that. Yeah. And I actually think that when we've done that work, 
we actually become safer for everyone around us. Hundred percent. Rather than yeah, rather than keeping all that stuff repressed. So. Um, so it's, it's a beautiful, good thing. Ruth, I sense we're probably coming to a Mm -hmm. close, but I do want, if you would be willing to answer Mm -hmm. the the question you posed to me, where's your growing edge on this sexuality and spirituality? Mm -hmm. Well, I honestly, you know, I'm really wrestling with the invitation and the opportunity to to rework the book that I wrote 20 years ago, equal to the task. Wow. Um, we've taken it out of print because the publisher would really like me to bring out something new and, what I'm realizing in doing that is how hard it is to even talk about anything positive or hopeful mm. right now. Um, and I'm, and I, I, one of the reasons I want to write the book is because there are angry voices out there saying things from anger. And I know that's not my voice. It's not what oh, I, mm-hmm. it's not in me anymore, yeah. but I do have love and I do have a real strong desire to see men and women move into something healthier um, as we move through the meet the hashtag me too movement. Mm-hmm. So, um, wow. maintaining hope, believing, yeah. Yeah. believing that we could get there, mm-hmm. um, that it's worth trying to write some things in a nuanced, balanced way, because I have a great deal of love for men as well as women in my life. Yep. And so I know the vulnerability that men are feeling in our current culture, as well as the pain that women have experienced, um, as they've tried to tell their stories. And sometimes I wonder if anybody can get the line quite right. Can we walk? Can we walk the line that honors everybody? That honors the fears that men have right now? That honors the stories that women are holding? Um, can we be truly respectful both ways? Yeah. What kind of words would talk about that or help us know how to do that? Sometimes I wonder if if this one's going to get done. You know, yeah. just because it's 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 hard stuff to write about right now in our current cultural milieu, and yet I think maybe something about this cultural moment is calling for it too. Well, I think it is. I mean, you call it a Kairos moment. I tend to agree. And I wonder if, you know, the way to think about it is, Ruth, you know, someone 20 years from now will write a a book that is even more expansive, you know, mm-hmm. because there will be 20 more years of, of conversation. Yes, and we're really in the middle of it right now. We are. So you're yeah. going to write a great book. You're going to write the book that only you can write. You're going to write the book that's a gift for right now. And just like 20 years ago, your your book was a gift for right then. But, you know, maybe it's got limitations now. The same will be true 20 years from now when you write this book. But I, I think that's a freeing thing where mm-hmm. we're going to write, we're going to preach, we're going to do what we can do right here, right now, knowing that it's a drop in the sea in a sense, not taking away from the importance of it, mm-hmm. but knowing that the work will continue on. And it's not up to us to continue, to, to finish the work. It's up to us to, to do our part in it, you know, and you yep. have done that for so long and for so many. And I, I'm so grateful, even as I think about you writing that book, I, I almost feel like, oh, my God, Ruth, how are you? Like, where are you going to get the energy for that? Mm-hmm. You know, but I will pray for you <laughs> that's, in that. That's I, the I other will. part of the question right there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we want to end this each episode with practices. So I've said a few, but and I'll restate them. But Steve, for you as a man in our culture right now, name one practice that for you is a powerful practice for opening to God's transforming work in this particular area of life, in this area of our sexuality. Hmm. Well, I I think this might be a practice that I will consider beginning Mm -hmm. to do based on what I said as my answer to my growing edge, but it's, it's, it's going to be something around trusting God to extend my welcome further. Mm-hmm. Um, 
when it mm-hmm. feels like I'm doing this with my eyes right now, my eyes are saucers right yeah. now, when it feels like that, when it feels scary to me, vulnerable to me. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I don't, I don't, of course, I'm always aware of my capacity to cross lines sexually, but I, I don't even mean that really. I mean like mm-hmm. giving up something of myself that feels like that's what's scary, like emotionally mm-hmm. and um, so that'll be my work. And that's not very defined yet, but working on my extending my welcome further welcome. and extending yeah. my own, um, giving parts of myself away a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that's yeah. clear enough. I think even the conversation that you described with the, the Latina woman mm-hmm. who, yeah. Um, had some things to say that mm-hmm. were different yeah. and gave you a new perspective and you just were silent and listened. Mm-hmm. And that's part of expanding the welcome, right? Exactly. You're welcoming her thoughts and experiences and seeing them as worthy without, you know, needing to even offer your own yeah. at times. Yeah. 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 What about you? So, yeah. So I feel, um, that a couple of core practices, number one, we did mention, this whole idea of every aspect of life in our bodies as human beings being a place of encounter with God, these temples. Mm -hmm. And we're on the planet the way God created us, male and female. Um, We know there's other ways in which people experience gender in our day and age that they're talking about in very brave ways. And so how do I sink and settle into my experience and and experience that as a place of encounter with God? You know, not something that's separate from my life with Mm -hmm. God to be tamped down, but how do I attend to my life um, in this particular aspect of my human existence as a place of encounter with God mm. um, and really reflect on that, I think is just a wonderful practice. It's a wonderful invitation. And then as we become aware of places that might be broken or limited, um, I just feel very much like we need to drive the stake in the ground and say, I'm going to work on that. Yeah. I'm going to seek out the spiritual director. I'm going to seek out the therapist. I'm going to bring this aspect of my um, sexuality into the light with someone else who can um, help me to process this and become a healthier person. And, and then finally, this invitation to love. Can we move beyond fear? Can we move beyond lust? Can we move beyond um, separating ourselves from each other and actually move towards one another in love? I think those are the practices that will help us all to live with our sexuality in ways that become a gift to ourselves mm-hmm. and to others. For the glory of God, for the abundance of our own <clears throat> lives, and for the sake of others. Ruth, I really like that. And I, can I just, w- w- would you mind if I shared 30 seconds of a sure. mm-hmm. addition? I know I was just having this conversation with someone and, and I know that there are still many churches where if a man, the male pastor were to tell the board, Hey, I'm struggling with this sexual issue or whatever, that they would be fired. You know, um, that, that, that's just still a reality. And so I would just say like, um, well, men or women, whatever, but if, you know, if you are in that situation, find someone first, a a spiritual director, a counselor that's safe to begin to talk that through, you know, Mm -hmm. um, do the, don't just go farther underground with it. Yes. And and do, do the next right thing. Don't deny it. Don't just say, well, I can't talk about this. Um, because you know, the, you know, the, I just would say, because you know, the, the cost that it's already that, that you've already paid. It's, it's, it's weighing so heavily on you and, and you can be free. Um, and so I would encourage you to follow Ruth's advice, see someone, talk to someone, do your work. 
Well, let's take a moment to be quiet in God's presence with all that we've stirred up. And I would imagine that this episode, more than many, actually gets us literally stirred up. We can feel our energies and we can feel our angst. We can feel our fear. We can feel our longing and desire. And that we just sit openly with that in God's presence. With whatever this episode, this conversation is stirred up, can we open our hands and just hold um, hold what we're knowing, what's being stirred, hold it openly in God's presence for a moment. And then maybe we could ask God, what does this experience tell me about you? How can I experience this particular place of stirring as a place of encounter? What would it sound like and be like to pray right here in this part of my life? And whatever it is that we're knowing or that is stirring, we ask God to lead us in the everlasting way, to lead us in a life-giving way. Amen. On behalf of Ruth and the entire Transforming Center staff, thank you so much for listening. We're currently accepting applications for our next Transforming Community Spiritual Formation Experience for Christian Leaders. You can learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org slash tc. This podcast is a ministry of the Transforming Center and is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. If you've enjoyed Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can also become a partner of the podcast and get exclusive benefits by visiting transformingcenter.org patron. During Lent, all new patrons will receive a digital version of Ruth's popular resource, Lent, A Season of Returning, which includes a guided reflection for each week of Lent so that you can experience Lent as a season of transformation. Again, learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org patron. Thanks so much for your support and for listening to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership.